back, everybody, to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined again by Price, who was with the podcast last week for the Benedict Matherin episode. Bryce, thanks for joining us again. Oh, pleasure's all mine. <laughs> Fantastic. Sounds like office space, you know, pleasure's all on this side of the table. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about Jaden Ivey, uh, probably the, uh, or I would say definitely the most exciting prospect that we haven't covered yet. But I first want to talk uh, just a bit about the NBA Finals. So. Uh, as we found out a couple nights ago, while recording this on Tuesday, it's going to be the Warriors versus the Celtics, and I'm not really looking to do a full breakdown of what the finals are going to look like. But I just want to say I was I've been really impressed by the Celtics, and maybe it's the it's the kind of like old Pistons fan in me, though not as an old Pistons fan. But looking back, for example, like the going to the work Pist- the going to work Pistons, excuse me, I feel like the Celtics are. The team we've seen that resembles them the most in a long time. We're never going to have a team like the going to work Pistons at, again, but just a team that everybody works super hard on defense. Everybody's a capable defender, and they're very unselfish on offense. So it's just been good to see, and I'm I'm rooting for them in the finals. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Like Jason Tatum is a superstar, probable like top ten player, like in the next five or so years, but even still like just the 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 team just plays like for each other plays really hard on defense and you have just even Peyton Pritchard is just showing out and I think that speaks volumes when your end of rotation guy is just so committed to the the goal of the team yeah so yeah it's really definitely a team's team and like I said I've, I've just found it very I don't want to say inspiring, but uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit inspiring to watch. You just don't really see teams like that very often in the NBA these days and still maintain that you can't win on defense in today's NBA, but definitely the Celtics have made it a major asset, like a major, major asset with, it's just an intelligent defensive scheme with five guys who can switch. And I also feel that's really where the NBA is going. But yeah, definitely Tatum, that would say top 20 player right now easily. It needs to work a little bit on attacking the basket. Uh, just in that he tends to avoid contact and he's still not as strong as he should be. So if he gets kind of knocked off a stride a little bit too easily when he's in the air, knocked off the stride, you get it. You get what I mean? (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, really good team. So, and I think they match up well against the Warriors. Yeah, I'd agree. Like the length that Boston can play with, I think could really give the Warriors a lot of trouble. Um, This is definitely the most switchable team left or just in general, like they can yeah. just everybody, even Robert Williams is like great um, mm-hmm. at like, he's not a guy you want on the perimeter. Always. You're probably going to be playing drop mostly with Robert, but time Lord can, can move. And, you know, if you're just kind of rotating and bringing like help side stuff, like he can do that in spades. Like he, he, you don't lose a lot when he gets onto the court. In, in that regard. And then you can go small with Al Horford, who I was talking to my friend the other day. He's just a God. Like he's <laughs> so good. Like it is, he is so, so hard to, to like play against. And yeah. I think he's the, the connective tissue to this team. He embodies that sort of just unselfish play the guy in front of you sort of mentality um, do what it takes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you can't not root for Al Horford. 
Yeah, I felt really good about seeing him get to the finals. Apparently, he had played a record number of uh, playoff games to this point. So, uh, rather, I'll put it this way. It took him a record number of playoff games before he reached the finals, 140-something. I mean, he's played on a... I don't know if the guy's ever missed the playoffs. I think maybe in his early days with the Hawks. But, yeah, just to, to absolutely agree with you about him being really the connector on the team. Such a smart player. Like it, it completely underrated in the way of his of his overall IQ on both ends. I would say that with those two, those last two seasons, like 2017 to 2019, or maybe I'm yeah, mixing that up, uh, whatever. It's two really good seasons with the Celtics. I'd say he was a top five center, just a guy who can, who could play really good defense and on offense could pass, could shoot from anywhere and just always make, just always makes the right decisions. So it's funny how they, you know, he left to go to Philly because he didn't really want to play center and they picked up Kemba and they've circled around from Kemba back to Horford, who's now basically playing center <laughs> and now they're in the finals <laughs> and he's a leader too. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely have a high opinion of Horford also. And when it comes to switching, yeah, like you said, all these guys can do it and the Warriors are all about switching. And they're all about about off ball screens. Finding, I mean, of course, you've got Curry and, and Draymond. I mean, they're they're more special qualities to that team. But uh, I just think that the Celtics match up as well against them as any, probably better than any other team in the league, and defensively speaking. So it, it should be interesting. All right, let's move on to Jaden Ivy. So Ivy comes out of Purdue, six foot four guard. Again, I'll, I'll reiterate this: six foot four in NBA terms. The guy may be a little bit short of six three, without shoes. Excuse me, six foot four in NCAA terms. Uh, just to reiterate again, also the NBA measures without shoes. So, yeah, he could be short of six three because short of six three, shoes add an inch. You round up, you get six four. Whatever, six foot nine wingspan, one hundred ninety five pounds. He'll be a shade over twenty at the draft. I played two years at Purdue. Uh, so his profile, basically high flyer, super athletic, uh, does most of his scoring at the basket, uh, and a little bit of a shaky shooter, uh, but whatever, we'll get into this. So yeah, as I mentioned, I think his number one strength uh, is his athleticism, which is just really something else. Yeah, he's an alien. Just, I, I don't know how a guy like him exists. <laughs> yeah. He, it, it's really, it's really just remarkable. Even at the NBA level, like he'll be, uh, he'll be a top 10 athlete. So it, it just comes down to just incredible acceleration. Just, it's just what you call the, the consummate fast twitch athlete. He, yeah, he can accelerate on a dime. He's fantastic at turning the corner. He was fantastic at it in the NCAA. He'll be fantastic at it in the NBA too. Again, this is a guy who we're talking M, like just elite, elite NBA athleticism. Uh, just super explosive leaper off of both one or two feet, tremendous top speed. He's got very good agility and, uh, and pretty good body control, I would say too. And just fantastic at changing directions and speeds. So yeah, it's, it, it's really something else to watch and it's definitely a translatable skill. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like he makes fast twitch athletes look slow. That is kind <laughs> of the level difference or like this qualitative difference that you, if you will, uh, with Jay Nivey, he's just so fast. He can, the, the first step is probably one of the best. As soon as he walks into the NBA, one of the best in the league and the, his game just flows from there. Yeah, definitely. 
it's it, it's just remarkable, really, what he can do as an athlete. I've seen him come to John Morant. Not sure I'd agree he's quite there. I mean, Morant is uh, is, is really just something else, and you know, even even by NBA standards. But Ivy's Ivy's definitely up there, and it's of course got definite applications to the end at the NBA level, just as it did at the NCAA level, and uh, it's going to make him. Definitely very, very able as a penetrator. I get Purdue breaking down defenses was one of his specialties. He generally did it turning the corner rather than going straight up the middle. Straight up the middle is going to give you more utility at, at drawing additional defenders because you're curling around the basket. It's just you know there are easier situations in which you don't really need to throw a help defender or you find yourself in less of a position to, to make a good pass. But yeah, well, definitely when he's jetting to the basket, attracts some extra coverage. So just the ability to break down defenses off the dribble is, is really just very valuable in itself. And uh, then, of course, just his ability to sky and score at the basket. Yeah, he's not like a really like crazy, crazy vertical athlete in terms of his max vert from mm-hmm. what I've seen, but he has great hang time. And that's partially the speed. And he can kind of like get right in those like windows of space around the basket on either end. And especially on offense, like that just allows him to kind of make like these extra moves as he's falling down, like almost horizontal to the ground. And it's, it's quite exciting to watch. Yeah, without a doubt. And that athleticism can, can make him very difficult to stop. If he finds even the slightest window, he can get up there to the basket. And yeah, just, just hard to emphasize enough just how impressive his athleticism is. So uh, when it comes to scoring at the basket, um, you know, it's at this point, maybe still a little bit raw in terms of the moves he's flashing, but there's definitely very high upside there at the NBA level. Also, when it comes to other things, you know, other applications of that athleticism, like attacking closeouts, for example, didn't do a ton of it at Purdue, but Basically, if if at the NBA level he's a reliable enough shooter that NBA defenses are going to close out on him, I mean you're pretty much finished. We've said that about Diallo before, uh, because he's he's just going to blow be, blow by any any guy who's closing out, and the help might not might not even get there in time. And I'd, I'd say his def, has definite potential as like you said, he doesn't have the, the necessarily the max vertical pop that maybe Matherin does, but could definitely do some vertical spacing as well. Yeah, I mean what other applications do you see the NBA level for his athleticism? You could think definitely about off-ball movement, I would say. Uh, Yeah, to start with, like, just being able to relocate, I feel like that will be huge for whatever team gets him. Like, very few guys are going to be able to keep up with him. Um, Obviously, there's great athletes who are very long and very twitchy and fast, but the first step, the ability to stop and start, means... He, he can kind of get to where he needs to um, on the court. And another aspect I'd like to bring up is the fact that he's going to be a demon in transition. Like, it, again, that's not like necessarily important as important for playoff basketball, but at least uh, as an option, I think he's going to be a huge weapon in that regard. And oh, yeah. Well, will just tear up teams like you'll see him like just take three steps and be basically in the paint it feels like it's just or three dribbles rather and it's just 
kind of unfair. Yeah, it's remarkable, definitely. His ability to accelerate very, very quickly up to that top speed, and that top speed is just blindingly fast. So his ability to get out there and run in transition with or without the ball, I mean, he's remarkably fast with the ball in his hands. You know, plenty of guys lose some speed, but he doesn't, whether really in the half court or in the open floor. It's yeah, it's remarkable seeing his ability to to get from one end of the court to the other. So I agree. As a transition scorer, I think he should be very good. So I, I would say moving on to, yeah, his capacity for off-ball movement, actually, I want to cover that. Completely agree with you. Uh, definitely the, the ability to relocate quickly is great. Also, just the, the ability, like we said with Matherum last week, to just beat your defender from off the dribble, from off the ball is a skill in itself because it's just one extra way that you can unhinge defense. And I'd say that Ivy should be you know, one of the best in the league at that, at the NBA level. It's, it's just, just, I know I'm, I know we're, we're both repeating this over and over again, just the, how fast he can get and how quick, you know, how quickly he can get to that top speed. So it should be a guy capable of opening himself up in, in the half court from off the ball as well. And that's very nice to have about transition scoring. I think it's worth noting. It'll become a, even more valuable just overall, because they're almost certainly getting rid of the take foul. Uh, the take foul, I'm sure you find it as annoying as, as I do and as annoying as pretty much everybody else seems to find it. Only guy more annoyed by it than me is Special K. <laughs> yeah, he hates the take foul, no doubt about that. But yeah, guys like Ivy will have one less impediment in transition because you know the guy gets the ball in transition. If the take foul is still there, he's just going to get fouled right away. And the idea is next season that a take foul is one shot in the ball. So... I believe it's one shot. I don't know if it's dead. Yeah, I don't think it's two shots. Yeah, I think it's going to be, sorry to cut you off, it's one shot with um, possession. Yeah. Yeah, and in some situations that may actually be worthwhile. <laughs> you know, you you remove the certainty of two points uh, to give up one point and then another opportunity. But again, you might give up one point and then a, then a three. So I doubt we'll see much in the way of take fouls if that goes through. And you know, by, by the accounts we've heard from Shams, it's it had a lot of support amongst the NBA's board of governors. So uh, another upside I would say, and this might sound a little bit weird uh, because this is also a a question, big question mark about him, is the shooting upside just in terms of what he showed potentially as a, as a pull-up shooter uh, from three-point range for step backs. And... Also, just that if he can make that work, it just makes it would make him an exceptionally tough cover at the NBA level. Yeah, I think like as long as he is decent at that, then like with Hamadou, uh, I don't know what you do to guard him because if you play up on him at all, you're in finished. For, you're in just a world of trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did you like it all? What you saw from do what you saw from him in terms of his pull up shooting? Like I know we saw him take a lot of like long pull up threes. But oh boy! What do you think his, <laughs> yeah, what do you think his upside looks like as as a pull up shooter long term? He shot about 33.3 percent uh, actually on pull up threes, which isn't a bad mark, but inconsistent, no. of course. Yeah, it like this is will be my running theme with my take on Jaden Ivy is that it's a lot of development is needed. The, the upside is obviously tremendous, but the the rawness that he plays with in a lot of his like details in the game is, I think, going to be the story on him. And you have like 
at times it looks really fluid. He can just get to his step back. It looks nice. And at other times his footwork, it's just wild and all over the place. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he looks like me when I try a jump shot and <laughs> um, it's, it, it, I'm being hyperbolic, but he doesn't get like great elevation on it. And there's like issues with his mechanics that we can go into, or if, yeah. if we want to like keep talking about the positives, there's, there's the fact that like, I think that there is legitimate shooting upside, maybe not like as an elite three point threat, but he doesn't need to be. I think that, that we've seen steady progress from high school to college year one to year two. So I think that he's a fine enough free throw shooter that hopefully you can see him being a decent threat. And as long as any amount of, of teams feel like he, they have to play up on him, then he's going to be golden. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I agree about the free throw shooting and I think that there are some other flaws that could really hinder him, even if even if teams are willing to respect him to a degree at the three-point line. Like, yeah, I, I definitely see upside there. Like the pull-up shooting. Pull-up shooting isn't something you need to have. It's something that's very, very nice to have, especially if you can get to, they keep – Ivy liked that step back, and that step back's a great tool to have. No, he wasn't great at it, but – in terms of so it's a good place to to transition i suppose to the negatives and shooting inconsistency was definitely one of his negatives it should be noted that on unguarded threes unguarded catch and shoot threes uh, he shot a very high percentage however on very low volume he hit 17 unguarded uh, catch and shoot threes all season he loved to take guarded threes whether they they're difficult threes you know guarded threes on the catch and shoot on which he shot only and 33.3%, same as he did on pull-ups. He took almost as many pull-up threes as he did catch-and-shoot threes. And man, was he just taking a ton of them from, in, in both capacities from well beyond the three-point line at, or just a high degree of difficulty stuff. And you got to wonder what his percentage may have looked like if he was just taking more run-of-the-mill, just easier threes. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, that the shot selection in general mm-hmm. is probably like one of like two or three maybe biggest question marks with Ivy and is going to need a lot of development because you're right. Like I noticed that he would settle and this kind of reminded me a little bit of LaMelo back in 2020 because at least with... <laughs> Oh, right. That guy. <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> yeah. I'm just pointing out the fact that LaMelo took a lot of shots that I'm like, Oh, they were awful. Like he still does. It's gotten better. And that gives, that would give Ivy fans, I think a little bit of hope that, that a guy as talented as Ivy can be coached up to mm-hmm. take, make better decisions. Yeah. That, that's, I think, uh, cause you're right. He settles he, and, and, or he'll just, I think get like caught up on, okay, I need to make a shot and forcing something. And then we get into like issues with his mechanics on his shot. Like the platform is, is pretty narrow. Like if we talk about AJ Griffin for, for a little bit, like his platform is like, um, like it looked like he grew up in Texas because it's just huge and massive and sprawling. Oh, super wide. Yeah. Super wide stance. Yes. Yes. And, and Ivy's is, is in the other direction of like his knees almost knock 
um, a lot. I noticed, like, I, I can't even tell you. I spent like probably, I watched maybe several hundred shots of Ivy's in slow motion. So, wow. Yeah. I, I, I looked for every single shot that I could and the, the, the knees tend to knock. Like he, he is prone to like shooting, like, um, in front of his face a lot. And you have like a, a fairly low release point and like the mechanics, like with his gather look pretty good, but the, the release point and and the footwork, I think, kind of combined for um, partially why we see these these shots that like just look like they're kind of being pushed and are very flat and hit like the the tip of the rim, like furthest out into the court. Yeah, his misses could be ugly. Yes, yes, absolutely, and I think that it. I don't see necessarily a ton of room for him to become this amazing three-point shooter Mm -hmm. but i think he could get more consistent yeah at at least in like and again if he's taking more normal three-point shots and can at least be an option to spread the floor if you're playing like five out or you're playing you know like one man deep four out uh that that i think you'll you'll have at least enough where he can exist in a modern NBA office offense, excuse me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd say at the NBA level, if you're almost anybody like uh, as a perimeter player, it, or at least if your offense isn't completely playing around you, like as, as you see with Giannis, you see with John Morantz, that's you really want to be pretty darn reliable on those catch and shoot threes, at least like consistently 36 and above 36% and above, particularly on your wide open threes. So like again, you know, so unless Ivy becomes like one of those guys you really want to play around, we'll talk about that a little later. I'd, I'd say, you, you, and certainly on Detroit, again, when we talk about the fit, you want him to be higher percentage. But you know, when it comes to consistency, definitely the guy finished with a mark of around thirty six percent. He started fairly strong. He had a couple of big games that really inflated the percentage. In the last thirteen games before the NCAA tournament, he was twelve of fifty one which was needless to say, not, not something you wanted to see out of him down, down the stretch of the season. So yeah, his mechanics are a little wonky. He gets the shot off quickly, which is nice, but uh, like you can expect his volume of threes to increase at the NBA level. And you want to be, yeah, just, you got to have those mechanics, right? Like some of his misses were like when his, when he missed, it could be real bad, like really ugly. And I think the free throws go along the same lines and, and free throw shooting can be, you know, is is a decent metric for prediction of how a player is going to shoot from the perimeter as well. It's not the be all end all, but seventy four point four percent is not really what you want to see. Uh, like even a lot of his misses looked bad. Like the, just the ball, the spin, uh, it would, yeah, it was it was just bad looking. So, uh, not only does that make you worry about the three point shot, that would make me worry about the three point shot. Uh, you know, and how long, how that's ultimately going to come along. But you're also just leaving a lot of points on the board. And NBA teams will be happy to just hack him on the way to the basket. Like, not deliberately foul, but they'll feel a lot better about fouling him rather than giving him an open opportunity at the rim. Uh, not an open, but an easier opportunity at the rim if they they think he's going to shoot in the low 70s, low to mid 70s. Yep. Yep. And it yeah. was consistent year to year, too. Yeah, like it, and this too is inflated by some some big games. I think he was like fourteen out of fifteen in one game, which was really an aberration. And 
So I'd worry about that. It's a weird combination, like a guy who can, well, I guess it actually mirrors, mirrors the way that his shooting went, which is that, that, you know, he was like a 36% shooter, but highly inconsistent. And then then you have also his free throw shooting alongside that, which was quite poor, like uh, 75% for a perimeter player, especially one who's, who's going to be driving the, to the net quite a bit is, is bad, improvable, but it just makes me worry about that form. Yeah. And that's not even, I think his like necessarily even biggest area of improvement. Mm-hmm. What would you say that is? Oh, uh, in my opinion, the uh, it's, it'd be the shot selection in general, and that would extend into the mid range. I think yeah. that, as has been mentioned a bunch, the lack of mid-range game is just, like, astounding. He is, like, awful in between the paint and the three-point line. As as inconsistent as he was, and he was very inconsistent, it, his three-point shooting was markedly better than than his midi game. And oh, yeah. it is... Like, and I'm not saying like a player needs to be a great midpoint or sorry, uh, mid-range shooter in order to be a good player. I, mm-hmm. I I think very few guys are able to do it well. Um, but the the fact that it's that bad, I mean, it, it's bad. It it really will like make him that like two level score and and makes even more pressure on his development to improve as a three-point shooter and again like he can draw a contact because like he gets guys out of position like nobody's business Mm. it is he like guys get off tilt all the time he he can really just like make guys like look like fools and yeah and then i think uh to bring it to the next point that i want to bring up is passing reads. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say he's a bad passer, and I like his handle. I think he it is a very functional handle. But the uh, I, I question some of his decision making um, with the ball in his hand. It feels very simplistic. Yeah, definitely. I just want to circle back briefly to what you said about his in between game. Definitely, it is remarkable how basically not of one he has it's basically absent he took 22 percent of his shots on, on two-point jumpers this season shot 32 percent on those i mean he is absolutely he was absolutely terrible on pull-up twos he you know is his uh his runner floater not really very reliable at all and you know as quick as he is nba teams will still take advantage of that you know inside the paint you know, if whatever help defender comes, we'll just back off toward the toward the restricted area, and in the center is not going to try to challenge him outside the restricted area. Did shoot sixty two and a half percent on attempts at the rim, only twenty four percent assisted, so that's impressive. But total lack of in between game. But definitely what you said about his decision making, his ability to make make the right reads and passes. We I, this was brought up with Jalen Green last season. I think it's as big of a swing skill. Uh, probably bigger, actually, even significantly bigger swing skill for Ivy than it was for Green, because Green's a good three-point shooter. I mean, just really no ifs, ands, or buts, even even off the move. I mean, Green can make his threes. He proved that this year. He did it well in the G League before that. And especially for a guy like Ivy, who's going to depend a lot on driving the 
the ability to make the right reads or passes is could really be the difference between him being able to take advantage of the gravity that he's going to attract uh, or him not being able to take advantage of that and forcing up a lot of bad shots or just turning the ball over a ton. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's it's his swing skill, for me at least, as a second option. And the fact that I felt like he he kind of only made like the v- very most simplistic of passes. Um and I felt like he he oftentimes was two hand like two handed passes that were somewhat midair. I'm like, I don't I don't love that. Um it feels like uh, his turnover, he might not be like super turnover prone, but I feel like, especially on drives, that he could get exploited by just the the sheer intelligence of NBA defenders um, more than he was in college. Like you just have a whole nother level of instinctual players who are going to be guarding him or who are going to be on help defense and and will be able to interrupt passes. And so him being able to draw that gravity and then exploit it is a lot like how I felt about Jalen green, where it's like, if he's going to be the primary option as like kind of this vehicle for just generating efficient offense, because he can do it for himself. I was pretty confident in that, but if he can actually be that number one guy who kind of like sets the table for a franchise Mm-hmm. Um, that was good. That was going to be the, the key part of his game that need needed to improve. And then you get Ivy who I think, um, has obviously great upside and I don't want to say that he's got like Jalen green upside because I think Jalen green is maybe as a prospect a little bit in another echelon. Yeah, but, I would agree. Yeah. But, uh, Ivy, I think is like right up there. Like you, you definitely could see him being a fantastic second option, um, if not even a guy you build around, but the passing even more so is going to be how he gets there is being able to exploit the gravity that he's going to draw because teams are going to respect his ability to get to the paint. And yeah. if they don't have to respect the pass, then he has nothing. It's like the inverse problem of Killian Hayes. They don't have to, res- <laughs> they don't have to respect uh, Killian Hayes getting into the paint so they can just play against the pass. And with yeah. Ivy, I don't think it's that weak as with Killian Hayes, but it's the swing skill. Like Killian Hayes is, is can he shoot and then can he get to the paint? Ivy is can he pass well enough to warrant having the ball enough? Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, and you saw it a lot at, at Purdue. Just I don't think the guy's court vision and just passing IQ is particularly high. I mean, it, it's one thing if you're just bringing a guy into the league who's just raw at it and, and you look at it and you say, okay, maybe we can train him into it. I just don't think his court vision is very good. And I just don't think his, his decision-making about just the feel about when to make the pass and what's the right pass to make a lot goes into being a good facilitator. Like just the ability to, to see the floor, to know where your, where your teammates are going to be, even if you can't see them and just being, being able to, like things at the NBA level move it. You just have to be able to make split second decisions on both ends, but particularly if you're handling the ball, like just being able to to make that split second judgment of, do I have a lane to the basket? Is it better for me to attempt this shot, you know, to try to get to the rim or is it better for me to, to pass the ball to a teammate who might be in better position? Where is that teammate? 
how can I most effectively get him the ball? Is it going to lead to a turnover if I try to make this pass? And I don't think Ivy has that. I think like at Purdue, I, I think he just showed it. He, he, he doesn't know where guys tend to be. He can only, like you said, make really direct straight line passes. And he can just find himself kind of among the trees, so to speak, and then either force a bad pass or just take a bad shot, you know, even, even if he's around the rim. So, and often when you get, when you get that close to the rim, and I mean, the fact that he's going that fast means he's going to get there quickly. If you, like, you can easily find yourself without options. And this is a, you know, kind of a minor point, but the guy often could just find himself too close to the rim and bowl somebody over. (laughs) Like he, he, uh, you know, that, that'll be an issue at the NBA level if he, if he can't, you know, control his body and just ends up taking a zillion charges. But yeah, the passing, I mean, do you think it'll, it has any possibility, you know, there's any high possibility of it getting there? Or do you think that this is just probably what he is? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there is room for improvement, like realistic improvement, especially with how weird the Purdue offense was like watching it. I, as I, I mostly watch NBA basketball, so watching like this old timey Purdue like team that runs basically through Zach Eady, um, like yeah, that was weird or not. Yes, <laughs> yeah, was, I'm sure. I'm sure you saw that, and I feel like that like kind of alters how a defense is going to play. And so I guess we haven't really seen Ivy play in like a modern NBA system with. You have the bigger floor, the, you know, the three point line is further out and, and, and then you can like really see Ivy, like be one of those people who maximizes the increased space because of his speed. And maybe that'll make it easier on him. But I, I agree totally that you'll see his percentage on everything go up if the, the pass is at least open to him. And, and I feel like you're right. He plays himself kind of out of the pass. Do you, but what do you think his, what would you say his ceiling is as a passer in the NBA? I mean, do you think that he has a lot of space to improve? Do you think it's just a question of rawness or do you think that it's a question more of just his, his overall court vision and, and passing IQ or both? Do you think it's a mix of the two? I would say it's a mix of the two. I would say it's like, maybe like he could get to like halfway to like a John ja Morant, like court vision. Like Ja is a very very special passer. And I think that's a huge reason why he works in Mm -hmm. the NBA given like his lack of like elite shooting. Um, Yeah. And obviously the, the, the athleticism is just like fantastic in in pretty much every regard for job, but you you have like, uh, if, if he can at least be, I think there's room for realistic improvement and then you have a change of, of scenery, then maybe it'll come along, but I don't think it's, it's like sky high. I don't see a world where he is like a true point guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet 
back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So I, I think there's one other problem area that's that's definitely worth drawing attention to, and that's his defense, which was very hit or miss at Purdue. Oh, to speak, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, just questions about can he make the right reads? Like, does, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I find it kind of hard to, to, to put into words. It's just, it was just all around. Could be quite ugly at times. You know, letting guys backdoor him, not making the right reads out of ball screens, just not positioning himself properly to stop drive so he could stay in front of guys. And it was, this is another area, just like his passing, that it was hard for me to tell whether it's, well, slightly different on, on this one. I, it was, it's just, it's just hard for me to tell where maybe poor defensive IQ ends and just a lack of real effort begins. And those are both bad because, you know, bad defensive effort. In the, at the NCAA level is, is sort of a red flag. But yeah, what did you see really in that respect? And, and definitely what, what do you think the, what do you think we're looking at in terms of IQ versus just effort? Um, I think with the athletic tools that he has, I, f- I somewhat feel a little bit similarly about like him to Ant Edwards, because the thing about Edwards is it was like, okay, he has these great tools but the effort and sometimes the, the reads weren't there. However, we've seen the, the NBA that with proper effort, it's come up and, and he actually can be like serviceable as a defender. And so I think that there's uh, upside for him to be serviceable. Um, I, I don't think it's ever going to be a strength because I do have very serious concerns about his IQ. Um, yeah, so I'd I'd probably say that you know he's a guard, so it matters less. Um, but e- even still, I think like he he could be a guy who get could get hunted a little bit in the playoffs. Um, but yeah. he it, with right with the right effort, he he's staying in front of everybody. <laughs> like yeah. you know what I mean? Like he he can at least like I think be a better ISO guy and a better guy in rotations with just a little bit better positioning. And with that speed, like you'd hope that like it kind of comes along a little bit. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, what did you see as his primary defensive weaknesses at Purdue? Effort and being terrible on rotations. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. He did have those issues on rotations without a doubt. And just the those instances also in which he just got caught ball watching and his, his assignment ended up well past him toward the basket. And of course, at that point, there's nothing you can do. I mean, just to, just to reiterate, I mean, you think that he can get himself to somewhere in the realm of, of like a, a net even presence on defense or maybe just a minor negative? I Yeah, I, I, that's kind of how I see it. That like there is upside for him to not be awful, which is better than I could say about Trey because Trey was never going to be a good defender um, in the NBA. So I, I think, yeah, a minor negative would be my realistic hope mm-hmm. for him. And for, with a guard, that's fine for me. I'm I'm okay with my guards being minor negatives, at least one of my guards being a minor negative. 
on defense if if of course the offense is then comparatively uh justifiably good yeah i mean for me it would it would hurt a little bit kind of like kissing goodbye to the notion of having this sort of defensive lineup that that, that the celtics have i've just i've really enjoyed watching it and though I know we agree, and I think this is pretty much an indisputable fact that offense trumps defense in the NBA these days. This is how the NBA wants it, and since the rule changes, like I said this in the show before, like it was great in in the mid, you know, the mid uh, early mid late two thousand early to mid two thousands. If you were a Spurs fan or a Pistons fan and you loved watching your team just completely eat opposing teams on defense, it was not fun at all. If you were another a fan of another team. I mean, I don't doubt that these were incredibly boring games to watch. So the NBA wanted more scoring and the NBA as recently as 2018 wanted more scoring, hence the freedom of motion rules, which I think kind of made things go a little bit too far. But uh, all right. Any other uh, concerns before we move on to fit? Um, One thing I I think we should say that Mm -hmm. is, is the length is good. Like he's pretty good. And he's like six, six foot nine. I've heard yeah. six foot ten. Um, I, I mean, a similar length to Matherin, but with like a smaller frame, mm-hmm. um, because Matherin is about like going to be six five in shoes or so in the NBA. He's, uh, he's, he's six foot. It's six six in shoes. About he's six foot four and one quarter without okay. shoes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but uh, Ivy is going to be obviously smaller than that. But the length and athleticism means that he can at least cover ground and get his hand up. And he had some really nice blocks at times. I'll, I'll give mm-hmm. him that. Like, like he, he can get up into the air in a hurry and can really punish guards who are um, just a hair slow on getting their shot up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he could come out of nowhere and, and perhaps, you know, he had some decent weak side blocks. So I, I agree. That'll help him at, at the NBA level. It's, always nice to be longer than not to be longer. <laughs> so yeah, he's definitely got a, a good wingspan. It's funny. I think back to, I mean, if you think back to Reggie Jackson from 2015, 2016, uh, he was able to make himself a, a decent enough defender. Reggie doesn't have, have good defensive IQ, um, but uh, you know, and that, that was a weakness of his before he came to the Pistons was his defense overall, but he was able to make himself a decent enough defender just by working hard and having an obnoxiously long wingspan. Reggie Jackson without shoes is about six foot two. He has a seven foot wingspan. I mean, the guy is, I mean, that's, that's obscenely long for, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just imagine that. So the length can go a long way, uh, just length and effort, And, you know, and that athleticism can help too. Of course, we've seen John Morant, who I don't think is quite as long and, and has that, it has excellent athleticism, but it's a big minus on defense like a big minus on defense. Yeah. And the, the Memphis Grizzlies have to build their team around that. It helps having Jaron Jackson on your oh, team yeah. to yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind yeah. of eat some of those tougher defensive assignments. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Ivy could be better than, than Ja? Cause I feel like I, I don't really know what the situation is fully with Ja. I mean, I'm, I'll admit to that. Why his defense is quite so bad. If it's, if it's just an, an issue of effort or if it's, or if it's an issue, a combination of of length and effort and 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 IQ or what? I'm, I just I would like to think that Ivy can be hopefully significantly better than that at the NBA level. I, I think that because Ivy's um, like passing uh, is 
never going to be as good as Jaws. I, I mean, at least except in like the very, very most unlikely of outcomes. Um, that you'd hope that that he's going to be not just a huge minus, but just a a little minus on defense. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, well, if you liked the idea of of a athletic ish two guard who's not very good at defense, like Anthony Simons then this kind of transitions into the fit with the Pistons. Um, you have at, at least like a potential option there of a, of a guy who can generate offense next to Cade. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd say, I just want to go back at, I looked up Morant's wingspan. He's at six, seven. So not too bad, uh, but he is 20 pounds short. Excuse me, 20 pounds lighter than Jaden Ivey is right now. Jaden Ivey is a guy you could see put on more mass as well. So, yeah, just like Trey, easily bullied around uh, and easily hunted in a way that I, I think he would not be quite as much if he weighed 20 pounds more. Yeah, Im- impressive that that Ivy is as, as fast as he is, uh, you know, being quite built. But, uh, yeah, uh, like you said, good transition into the fit. All right, and like you said, I think that uh, transitions us well to the subject of fit, uh, which is definitely going to be a big factor with with Ivy in Detroit. So, uh it's so like we said in the last episode about Matherin, like I've said before that uh, it's less about simple talent than it is about value and fit can be a big part of value and Cade's in the picture. I mean, Cade, the, the opportunity to draft Cade really changed the face of the rebuild for the Pistons because fit with him is going to matter. He's a guy who's going to be playing heavily on the ball. So uh, yeah, that, that just brings up the question of, what value can Ivy bring to the Pistons as a guy who maybe, uh, you know, I think that the hope of the average team that drafts him is that he could turn into really a lead guard who's attacking from the perimeter with the ball in his hands on heavy volume, but he's not going to get that opportunity in Detroit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Cade Cunningham is just in like a different realm as like a uh, creator for himself and others. And you definitely want to be running offense through him rather than uh, him like having most of his offense being created for him. I think that would be kind of a too far of an overcorrection to like Cade being overly ball dominant, which I think we we all could appreciate at least having another guy who can just go out there and at least get his own shot next to Cade. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I feel like Ivy is a potential fit. I'm not as enamored because again, the shooting is so much more raw. Like we already discussed with Matherin, who is just way further along in that regard. However, Ivy obviously has like, like attributes that I think could be compelling next to Cade, but it's more of an uncertain fit in my opinion. Yeah, I would say that Ivy might have the higher ceiling in terms of what he can provide, maybe higher than Matherin, but he's got a lot further to go in order to get there, and his development is going to need to cut, in my opinion, just right. Like, we've talked about what Matherin could bring. I mean, he's a high-level shooter uh, off the ball, you know, moves super well, can shoot motion threes, can shoot catch-and-shoot threes at a high percentage, and, and hopefully can provide some handling as well. With Ivy, I feel like you're going to always have a lot of his potential locked up and his ability to attack to attack the the interior, and I think that's why 
like I said, I think that the average team that drafts him is just going to hope he can be that lead guard who's just who's on the ball a great deal. And in Detroit, I think you'd need to see him really develop a lot as a shooter, develop a lot as an off-ball mover. And I think that the way that Maxi has played next to Harden since Harden's arrival in Philly is uh, is a is a pretty good analog. Just that that Maxi went from being really the primary handler on the on the perimeter, and he's not great as a primary handler, but to really playing off of Harden, uh, just really catching off the move or catching at the three-point line when Harden, Harden passes and either shooting, which you can do at a high percentage, or driving into the interior and making a pass, just moving super well off the ball. So I feel like that's the trajectory Ivy would need to take in order to be a good fit with Cade. Because like you said, Cade's just in, in a, an entirely different realm as far as his ability to run an offense. Yeah, I I kind of like that comparison myself. It's not like a one-to-one by any stretch because Maxi and Ivy are very different players. However, if you kind of add like a little bit more shooting um, to Ivy's game, then I think maybe he'll be like a version of Maxi. And that's a very good player uh, to play off of like a primary handler in the backcourt. Just so I think as like a, optimistic fit that would probably be what we would hope for if we do land ivy at five yeah i just when it comes down to to him as opposed to mather and i just feel like yeah with with ivy i think his likelier trajectory to toward being or his likelier route to being a really effective nba player is just if he can get that playmaking down and then you just give him the ball on heavy volume and just say attack the interior break down the defense and try to do something with it and if he's going to be that good fit with Cade, he's really going to, you're really going to need to see that shooting real, like you said, really need to come together. And it's just going to, it's also going to require a certain sort of buy-in. I mean, not everybody with, with Ivy's skill set is going to want to be playing a secondary role. I mean, Maxi, to his credit, just really embraced that role immediately, which I, I think just really said a lot about his character and, and his focus on being a team player. But uh, also was made possible by the fact that he made a gigantic improvement in his three-point percentage. I mean, he's only over 40% in the regular season in the playoffs. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, if if we do end up with Ivy, which I think is actually somewhat realistic given the way that the draft order worked out, um, that, that he'll at least, there's a good chance he's there, even though a lot of people have him ranked higher than fifth just because of like weird uh, team needs with the top four or particular team needs, at least in terms of their backcourt. So I think it'd be fine experiment. And if we're bad, then we get another shot next year because we're on like the long timetable and we don't need to rush it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so how would you see the actions working between Cade and, and Ivy? Like it's assumed that Ivy can get it together as a shooter, that he can buy in fully into that off ball role. And, uh, you know, in addition to just the Pistons having a secondary creator, uh, you know, how, how would you see actions between he and Cade working out in the half court? Yeah, I think that um, obviously Ivy's going to be a tremendous, uh, like, off-ball player in terms of at least his ability to relocate. Um, that's going to be an option for him. Um, and so if, if we can get, like, Cade to draw... Um, either like penetrate with like his iso dribble stuff or um, 
run like pick and rolls, then then what you're doing is you can be Kate can be dishing to Ivy and I, Ivy will then have the option to shoot or if he uh, gets like a good closeout, then drive in. And alternatively, what I would really like to see in an ideal world is Ivy is able to then also draw pressure on himself and then get to Cade. And then you have a mismatch like going that way where Ivy is then opening up offense for Cade, which I think would ideally be what we want in in, in a uh, backcourt or like a secondary creator role is a guy who can not just take ball handling pressure off, but just open up the court for Cade because he is just so much like the obvious first option on our team right now that we're very easy to like game plan against. Yeah, I, I think definitely I agree with what you said. You got you got a guy who can who can number one take the onus off of Cade to do everything, which you know you don't want that to last in any case. Even you look uh, you look. It's just not good to have a one-trick pony offense like that, no matter how talented the player is. But what I could see is, you know, Kate penetrating, drawing attention, and then Ivy can either catch the ball at the three-point line and attack through disjointed coverage, or he can catch the ball off the move. Particularly, like, it's very nice to have a guy who can explode from above the break rather than just along the baseline, because along the baseline, it's a lot easier to defend. And then Ivy's definitely got the acceleration and speed to do that. If Ivy can be a guy who can relocate quickly, quickly like you said, around the perimeter and and shoot at a decent percentage, like and, and just catch the ball set and shoot quickly, though that might be asking a lot given where he is right now as a shooter. You know, bonus points there. Might be able to do some vertical spacing, and that just gives you another option that doesn't force you to rely completely on Cade. Uh, now, if he doesn't get the shooting together, I feel like that's. And even just if he doesn't, like he's going to need to be a guy, I feel like who's going to be, in order to play this role, need to be dashing around the perimeter a lot. Do you feel like he was kind of a disinterested off-ball mover at Purdue? Yes, although, at least in this respect, I kind of give him a little bit of a break just with how um, like forced that offense could be, or at least, at least I would say not forced, clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of space for Ivy to find driving lanes. And I guess it's like kind of impressive that he was able to have as much success as he, he did. So well, I'm talking, I'm talking just in terms of when he doesn't have the ball, like it, it uh, seemed yeah, like he was yeah, that, just waiting to get the ball. And that yes. Point. Yes. That I, I think he also suffers from like a disappearing act, something that I kind of dock Paolo for too. I felt like he, he and Paolo in particular of the top guys are, can be pretty invisible when it, the play isn't going through them. Yeah. So that, I feel like this would need to be off ball movement being something he'd really need to emphasize at, like in, at Purdue. I feel like he had two modes on the ball and waiting to get the ball often stationary. So at the NBA level, he'd really need to be buying into moving around a lot off the ball, but it's also just, if the shooting doesn't come together, like I don't see much of a fit at all like do you see much of a fit like if ivy continues to be a shaky inconsistent shooter next to kate i I feel like that would really ruin things it's you're asking me if i think De'Aaron fox would be a good fit next to kate and the answer (laughs) is no yeah that's that's how i i liken it like like uh ivy in a like less good but also likely outcome like a medium good outcome is like kind of a version of De'Aaron fox and Mm -hmm. 
that is not a guy I think we want on our basketball team. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'd say this is the primary risk in picking Ivy is that like if like on any other t- on many other teams, like if he's kind of like a shaky three point shooter, but he's good enough on offense to you know to make decent reads, make decent passes, uh, then you can sort of run through him as a lead guard. But that's just the role he's not going to get in Detroit. Like things are going to have to cut right with his shooting, and I don't think either of us is necessarily like super confident about that. No. No, I, I wouldn't place money on it. Yeah, so that that's definitely something I, I would say to be concerned about. So he's got, uh, he's definitely got the upside there. If everything breaks right, then you know, great. You've, I think you've got a good number two guy next to Cade aside from the defense. But yeah, I think I think it just deserves to be emphasized that there's not necessarily, I think, a high chance of that happening. I'd place a decent chance, but uh, like if he doesn't get it together that way, then like this pick has not gone well for the Pistons. No, that's I think entirely fair. But also when you have the fifth overall pick, getting a guy with that level of attributes, I think is a pretty good outcome. Like even if it doesn't go well, just because you, you can at least you're betting that there's a chance that he actually changes the direction of your franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just feel like his ability to do so on the Pistons will be less so than if he had his own team, so to speak. Like just that on the Pistons, it's it, you're going to be asking him, but they'd be asking him to play a, a significantly different role. And you just got to hope that he finds a different way to be as effective. So I just I just feel like he's got a longer distance to go. Is he said, do you still feel that you would uh, take Matherin over him at number five? Absolutely. Like every single day of the week. I, I'm more and more confident in my Matherin take as time has gone on. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean Ivy. I would think long and hard between the two, just because Ivy's potential upside, if he can, if he can bring it together, is just so tantalizing. Um, but yeah, it comes down to the two things again: just that fit and what he'll need to do on the Pistons in particular to provide that kind of that sort of value. Um, you know, versus Matherin, who I just think has has a higher, has, has just a, a greater chance of providing high value to the Pistons. You know, with with much less in the way of changes in terms of his progression trajectory of his progression. All right, so uh, let's talk uh, ceiling and floor. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, as floor, I would have to say it if he's just a guy. You know, if the Pistons draft him, he doesn't get the shooting together, or just uh, it's also possible that he doesn't really get it together in terms of reads and passes, and then he's just a super athletic guy who will be constantly exploited by by NBA defenses, even if he's not on the Pistons. I mean, like Ivy's got holes in this game. We've gone over them. NBA defenses will ruthlessly exploit any weakness that you have. Yeah, I think that a like a worst case scenario is that he's like faster Hamadou. Mm-hmm. Like like everything goes completely off the rails. I should clarify. Yeah, but uh, would you say that that's an entirely unlikely outcome? I wouldn't say that it's the most likely outcome, but. I think it's like, I mean, uh, I, I think that it's a realistic floor. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Uh, what would you see as a ceiling? Uh, I mean, with a guy like Ivy, it's he almost has like, in my mind, two ceilings. It's like, oh, it, everything, if he hits all of his like milestone markers that we're kind of putting, like with the shooting, passing, blah, 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 then you're looking at a guy who's like, 
a version of John Morant with a better shot, who's longer yeah. and potentially less exploitable on defense. And but, but less yeah. but less passing. But with less passing, yes, yes, that is key. Um, and if you're looking at and so that's a guy who rightly would be considered for number one overall. And there has been a little bit of buzz that he could go higher than four or five, which mm-hmm. is kind of where people are mocking him right now. And so if you really bet all in on that super like 1% percentile outcome, 99% percentile outcome rather, then okay. However, I think more realistically, he's kind of a guy who is like kind of De'Aaron Fox, maybe a little more functional because the shooting doesn't look as bad. Um, and that's not like something I love, but he could also morph a little bit because he's still pretty raw. Maybe he morphs into more off ball guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that would be ideal in any situation, but particularly with the Pistons. Yep. Um, yeah. Like I know this is going back to fit a bit, but uh, I feel like with any player, if you have to say, well, it could work out, you know, if, and then, uh, you know, multiple conditions, then the fit just isn't particularly good. And, uh, you could say, and, and it'd be rightly said that any, any championship team needs multiple handlers, but it's just so important that neither of those handlers, that those handlers provide like one plus one equals two value at least. And that's, you're not getting really bad value between them because they lose a lot when they're off the ball. And Cade, I think he'll be a good shooter, but he's by far at his best on the ball too. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Breaking yeah. a balance. Just, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about, it's about finding, you always want, your, your key players to be more than the sum of their parts. It's a problem when they're less than the sum of their parts. Yeah. That's, that's why like max contract players um, mm-hmm. can be like, they add even more than one plus one equals two. They add like one plus one equals 50. If <laughs> well, that would be nice. Real, if it goes really well, like, <laughs> yeah. like with like LeBron and AD, like when mm-hmm. they are both healthy and yeah. LeBron's a little older, yada, yada. But mm-hmm. basically that that's a combo that is dreamlike. You're yeah. like, what do you do? You, you just lose like, and they ran over teams in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, LeBron was pretty much the point guard at that stage. And yeah, that was, that was just, that, that was a really good combination. Definitely. Uh, okay. Uh, so moving on to listener submitted, this has become a long episode already. So we're just going to go with one that we have in the docket. Uh, so uh, with regards to Isaiah Stewart, what do you think the value of a center is? It can switch everything. Uh, in terms of the de-emphasis on on size from the five spot that's been demonstrated in the playoffs, uh, yeah, this is uh, this question with respect to what we've been uh, what we've been talking about uh, probably a couple episodes back. In terms of or maybe this was last episode, uh, whatever the case, like about the change in how centers how certain traits amongst the, for centers are valued in the playoffs. I, I know that we, I think this was yeah we talked about eight in the last week, right? You and I. I can't remember. Yeah, we did. We talked okay. about like Aiton and Stewart as like a version of like a, I did at least talked about him as like a potential Grant Williams ask if the three ball really comes along. Grant Williams or, or uh, I, I, I feel like a TB. Yeah. I mean, if, if the three ball comes along, I feel like he'd be Robert Williams without the verticality, but with a, with the spacing, with the ability to space. But yeah, in any case, this is just uh, this is in the in the realm of you know what we've seen from centers in the playoffs, like how valuable switch coverage is, and how teams have been very willing to go small even with guys who can't 
really serve on the pick and roll to a degree. We're talking like Cleaver and uh, Draymond played center against uh, uh, goodness gracious. Hell am I forgetting which team the Warriors played in the first round? Um, yeah, he even played center to to a point in the in the Grizzlies series. But yes, I've been I've been informed uh, by by Price behind the scenes that it was the Nuggets they played against. Uh, so in any case, yeah, you've you've seen just the success of we we've seen just how useful the ability to switch effectively is for a center, and uh, how drop coverage isn't you know centers who are very focused uh, to, whose, whose utility really comes from drop coverage lose some value because they're going to be exploited. So I think this question is around, well, how does Stewart fit into this equation? Can he be a successful postseason center for the Pistons? And uh, what do you think? I mean, why don't you start? Yeah, I. it's just tough because um, if you think about like Al Horford, and I love thinking about Al Horford as a basketball player, but uh, Stewart is just nowhere near like his level of like, fluidity especially in range he's a very fluid player but like the ability to like extend himself like on the perimeter and just be so multi-positional on defense like Stewart's very much a five and that's something that I think like you could play Horford next to another big and it still mm-hmm. works you know like Stewart I think has less of that flexibility but maybe if you're thinking with like the most optimistic lens possible okay he can he his game actually improves because he is so switchable because he is so good at staying in front of guys even though he's not the fastest cat yeah definitely Stewart is an excellent switcher I mean Stewart's is a it's just a high level defender overall he's a good interior defender I mean he's a solid rim protector he's he's very hard to beat in the paint in general and he is a high level Switch defender. I mean, legitimately excellent switch defender. I mean, teams, you saw, like, for example, Atlanta even try to throw Trey Young at him, and Trey Young is very good at exploiting slow defense, is very good at exploiting good matchups against uh, against centers, and he, he couldn't get by him. Uh, I'm missing somebody else. Whatever the case, Stewart can stay in front of almost anybody. I'd say the issue with him just comes back to verticality. In the regular season, you really want a good pick, a good role man. Uh, and in the playoffs, when you've seen teams just go small, like with Cleaver or when Draymond played center, I mean, these are these are kind of niche situations in, in which it was just the best thing to do, and it was worth uh, it was worth giving up somebody who may be stronger on the boards or who may be able to catch lobs. So, uh, in in niche situations in the playoffs, I would say you know sure you've got Stewart ready to come in and maybe start at center or just provide really good minutes, um, but I, I feel like you would still want somebody who was just a stronger interior scorer, a, a vertical spacing threat, and and just a better rebounder overall, I, I, I think, at the starting center spot. I just, unless you can find, if you, like, it, it's like I've said in the past, if you can find a guy who's a really good role man at, at power forward, then Stewart becomes a lot more palatable. But, um, yeah, I would say more just situationally useful as, as a starting center maybe in the playoffs rather than, uh, rather than just uh, the suited to to start overall, just based on where the league is going. Yeah, I don't think that that's actually like a really bad outcome for mm-hmm. Stewart either. If he's going to just come in and yeah. be a matchup uh, center, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I think he's uh, he's 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 got a lot of utility in the postseason. Like um, you know, you bring you bring him in, and he could be a very good matchup in like series. Like what's the I mean, I hope you know if the Pistons can somehow somewhere manage to find a guy who can who can uh, play good 
drop coverage and switch coverage and shoot threes and is a vertical spacer great where, where they would find such a guy who knows because that you know this one even exist right now um and uh but whatever the case yeah i mean if you just have him and he can come in and in, in certain matchups where it makes perfect sense to go small and and, and to have an extra switchable center then and great yeah i think his long term is the bench you know energy center matchup center uh or yeah if you can find a, a power forward who's taller and can run the role yeah like it's it's also the question of like athletic balance too with the team mm-hmm. and just not right. getting like caught slow-footed um because that that also impacts like how teams are going to scheme against you on defense and how uh like they they know where to cheat and that's really key um even more so important than in the postseason when it's all about like where you can exploit the small inefficiencies. I think back to the series of the Lakers in the bubble against the Nuggets and how important Dwight Howard was. And that's, I think, another example of just like having guys on your roster who can just come in and be good and be a problem in the right situation. Like, you know, they they didn't play Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee at all um, against the Clippers or, or who was that they, they played the Nuggets, the Nuggets. Yeah. 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 So, um, they only, uh, but they came in and and they were just like a a force. Um, and that, uh, against a really good player and like, like Dwight Howard just gave Jokic so much trouble. And it's not that Dwight Howard is like this perfect, like center, but in that matchup, he was, the right call in that situation. And so Mm -hmm. having a guy in your backcourt long-term or sorry, front court long-term talking about too many guards here um, in your your front court uh, who can just come in and, and provide a different look for you. I think that that's really valuable. And maybe Weaver saw something in how the league is going with the switchability and, and Stewart will become just only even more valuable as time goes on, because he is just so solid overall defensively. Yeah. And I think you brought up something about the athleticism that I, I cannot believe I forgot about this because I am constantly harping on the value of, or the, the pitfalls of not having too many kind of met NBA athletes in the starting lineup. And, you know, Cade and Bay are functionally like somewhat below average NBA half court athletes. Yeah, with Stewart there, you've got three, and that's that's a problem unless you've got like really two elite half court athletes at the at the other positions. But uh, all right, well, this uh, certainly turned into a long episode, uh, so uh, why don't we call it here? Uh, thanks again, uh, Price, for joining us. Yeah, no, this this was great. I I love watching tape, and this gives me an excuse to watch even more. <laughs> throw up clunkers, um, just just rimming shots out. Yeah, great. Yeah, but presumably somewhat more enjoyable things about it too. Uh, but I was definitely impressed that that you watched that much tape on his shooting form. So, yeah, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's uh, at to the basket pod. That's T O, not the number two. Just a quick programming note: it won't be an episode next week. We'll be back the week after, and yeah, next episode will be Keegan Murray. So, uh, thanks for listening. Catch you then.